Hello and welcome to the Squawker Talker. Today's episode is sponsored by BetBright, where you can join today, deposit £20 and play with 70 across sports and casino. My name is Sam Long and I'm delighted to be joined by Mohamed Butt, uh, Squawker's chief writer. How are you, mate? I'm feeling good. I mean, you know, the World Cup's over, pre-season is still kind of a drag, but you know what? I'm looking forward to the Premier League and chance window and all that good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, Squawker's assistant editor, Jake Entwistle, is here. How are you, Jake? Yeah, good. I'm very much of the pre-season buzz, actually. I do quite like it when the squads are announced and you see the teams on tour. And as, as Mo said there, transfer business is always juicy. So I'm actually I'm actually quietly excited about it all. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also joined by BetRights' Peter Welch. How are you? Hi, chaps. How are you? Good to be here again. So uh, the World Cup uh, is fading into memory. Uh, and today's episode is a Premier League transfer special. There's only one place to start, really, and that is with Alisson's world record move to Liverpool. Um, so to kick off, uh, Jake, how, how good is he? Well, uh, depending who you're listening to, he's either the Messi, Messi or the Pele of goalkeepers. So <laughs> I think Liverpool have, have sort of uh, addressed another issue that was a pressing issue. I think no matter what you think of Karius and if he is still a decent goalkeeper, I think just what happened in the Champions League final was enough to sort of crush anyone's confidence. And I think he's already had a couple of more mistakes in pre-season. So I don't think that's indicative of his quality as a goalkeeper, but I think in a Liverpool mm. shirt, he's never really going to shine because there will always be that intense magnifying glass on his performances. So I think Alisson is a, is a brilliant signing. Again, Klopp's been sort of um, roasted a bit for what he said two years ago about Man United spending 89 million on Pogba and now he's bought a goalkeeper for 30 million less so I, I, again I agree with him I think no one could have predicted it would have increased that drastically within two years and, and he's had to do what he's had to do to, to make Liverpool a, a Premier League contender and sort of build on that Champions League final appearance and in Allison, they've got one of the most complete goalkeepers in, in, in football right now he does he saves shots which is obviously number one priority for, for your number one but um, he's very good with his feet um, as his compatriot Edison is as well uh, so he combines all those all those things that you want from this modern goalkeeper that is encouraged to be part of the build up play as well as actually keep clean sheets and he's moulded into this hulking handsome figure in goal so I think he's ticking every single box that Liverpool wanted in a goalkeeper and um, it is a good signing the price I think is sort of redundant as long as they can pay for it as long as they've worked out that there is a financial um, pathway forward for that not to affect them then I don't see any problem with it and it's yeah you'd look at his last two seasons at Roma and he's outperforming uh, sort of his expected goals conceded every season even back in Brazil he's always saved or conceded less goals than he should be expected to so that's a good sign of a good goalkeeper and he's up there with the best in terms of save percentage as well I think the the only people touching 80% last year were David De Gea at Man United who obviously had that ridiculous season in goal yeah. um, Jan Oblak who for me I think although there's that Atletico Madrid factor I, I'm still leaning towards Oblak being the best goalkeeper out there um, and so he was top save percentage, 80, 83%. David De Gea, 80. And Alisson is, is, is 79 or 80. I think it's been recounted a couple of times. But So they bought a goalkeeper that statistically is one of the best in the world, not just the Premier League. So I think it's a very good signing. What, what, what's your take on it, Mo? It's interesting, Jake's touch there on uh, the price is sort of redundant. It's going to be interesting to see how he actually takes that in his stride the fee because if it, if it sort of gets in his head perhaps. I don't think it will bother him so much but it is the, the price factors into the fact that now Liverpool you'd now you'd expect them they have to challenge on all fronts they have the most expensive goalkeeper in the world the most expensive centre-back in the world and the most expensive defensive midfielder in the world although no one was really going to point that out but Fabinho is the most expensive you know orthodox defensive mid in the world it's it's an interesting situation because I don't, again, I agree with Jake. As much as I, it's fun to poke, to laugh at Klopp, ha, 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 you're spending all this money. You said you never would. You said even if you could, you wouldn't, and you are. Um, and that's funny to laugh at him, but it, it is. He's had to, you know, the market has has exploded so much. He's almost mm. had to, or Liverpool wouldn't, you know. Liverpool wouldn't be able to compete and stuff. So, but, you know, it, it, these fees... I don't think they'll matter to him. I don't think they'll matter to the players. But I think it does create a media expectation of okay, you've got to win now. And now, will he or won't he? I'm I'm still I'm still not convinced about Liverpool. Even look, Alisson's a great goalkeeper. That's the first we should say. Seven point five eight eight out of ten every game. But he's not. 
He's not as... I mean, statistically, he's put up very good numbers, but he's not the kind of commanding presence that De Gea is at club level. He's not the kind of Jan or Black or... Or or um or even to Stegen at Barcelona who or Manuel Neuer who I mean he'll probably get back to what he what he was after uh, after a year out. He's a very it's really weird to say because there's nothing like you look at a lot of the great goalkeepers right now they all have something unique that makes them makes them pop out. Mm. Allison doesn't really have that in the sense that he's just really good at everything. Now I mean it, that sounds like a weird way to it sounds like I'm putting him down, but Petr Cech was just really good at everything. Petr Cech was not like the goalkeeper where you go, oh yeah he's really good at this. No, he was just—he went under the radar for so long as one of the greatest goalkeepers in the prim, in Premier League history, maybe the greatest goalkeeper in Premier League history, because he wasn't particularly great at any one thing. He was just like really, really good at everything. There was no weakness in it. There's no weaknesses in Alice's game, and that's going to help Liverpool. But I just think now the fee creates an expectation on Liverpool as a club to win, to win the Premier League or at least come closer than I mean, what are they eighteen points behind Man City, fifteen points. That has to, that gap has to come way down. They have to they have to challenge for the title, frankly, rather than just get blown out of the water. And, and realistically, they haven't sort of had that expectation for a while. Nope. Compared, I mean, to, compared e- to who they're competing Even last against. season, when they went to the Champions League final, which was an amazing run, they fully deserved to be there. No one expected them to get that far. That was, that was still ahead of, t- ahead of schedule, as it were. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens to Klopp now with expectation. Because I don't think he's ever really done well maybe the second Bundesliga winning title campaign mm. that he had with, with Dortmund which, which had a double as well they won the, the, the uh, German Cup too maybe apart from that season I don't think he's ever really done well with expectation with pressure mm. um, although I suppose maybe it's a Champions League final in 2013 you could argue but it's going to be interesting to, interesting to see and regarding their league title camp, they're going to have to change the league title but regarding that I'm still unconvinced by Klopp's system of play as has being viable for a league title campaign in a 38 game season with no, it's 38 games first off Bundesliga has less games and there's no winter break Bundesliga has a six week winter break mm. I'm unconvinced that his style of play can handle can last for an entire season mm. um, yeah like for uh, the Champions League I would put them as one of my favourite teams to make the final again in all, in all honesty but in the, as, far as, go, as goes the league title I'm not still not sure mm. Uh, just to bring you in in on that, uh, Pete, how has uh, how's Alisson's arrival changed Liverpool's title price, if at all? He's certainly been billed as the the sort of final final piece of the jigsaw. Yeah, well, Liverpool currently nine to two with Betbright to lift the Premier League trophy, uh, which is shortened slightly from five to one compared to a week ago. So the price change is probably more of a nod of confidence to the signing of Alisson uh, more than anything. Uh, Man City is still short favourites to retain the title at four to six. Um, but yeah, Liverpool much closer in the betting than they were this time last year. We're, we're twelve to one. Um, obviously, like a year ago, we didn't have, um, we didn't know how effective Salah was going to be for them. Um, they've obviously strengthened this year with the likes of Kaita joining Van Dyke. This time last year, wasn't in the squad either. So yeah, um, Anderson joining can only, I suppose, it's, it's only a positive. He's obviously a world class keeper, and it's uh, kind of uh, improving the. the I suppose, weaker link in the chain in Karius. Um, but last year's strong campaign, particularly in the Champions League as well, um, That's and obviously the added strength in depth they have in the squad compared to a year ago, that's massively improved their market confidence in Klopp side. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the shift from this time last week from 9-2 to 5-1, to um, sorry, 5-1 to 9-2, to um, as I say, not, not in confidence to the signing of Alisson. Um, I think Liverpool are going to be up there this year. Um, it's also worth noting that Betbright have got Man United at six to one, Spurs and Chelsea at elevens, um, and a new look Arsenal at twenty five to one, which I think oh, could be a nice little each way uh, bet if you fancy a brave pre-season bet. I think it's a bit of an unknown Arsenal side um, or newish look Arsenal side we're going to see next season. So I think twenty five is, is a big price for them at the moment. Um, and obviously head over to betbright.com forward slash football for all the uh, latest football odds uh, during the pre-season. But yeah, I think Alisson, listen, Liverpool are going to be a very dangerous side. Next season, I think Alisson can only be a positive for them. I think we should. What we shouldn't forget, though, is that is that Karius was actually very good last year. I mean, I know the perception of him has completely changed now, maybe justifiably so. I mean, he looked terrible last night in, in, in the preseason game. You know, <laughs> uh, at fault kind of for the third goal, terrible clearance that he got away with. Uh, and all, but he he kept twelve home clean sheets last year in the Premier League. He was really really good, having a very good season. He wasn't the weak point until the final when he yeah. cracked. It's it's going to be. This is what I'm saying. I'm not entirely certain it's that big of a jump. I mean, he's it, it piles more expectation on Liverpool, but I don't think again because Carius is. I mean, because Allison isn't like a De Gea or an Oblak or a Testegen. I think it's not going to provide that big of a jump 
relative to their league season. And in the Champions League, I mean, again, look, he's very good. It's weird to say this, but he got Liverpool slapped him for five goals. Barca stuck four past him at the camp now. You know, it's like... Yeah, he still made more saves than any other yeah. goalkeeper in the Champions League, though. So yeah, no, no. He, yeah, he, he was obviously getting absolutely peppered. And yeah. I think if you look at some of the saves he made in the game against Shakhtar and in the group stages, mm. he was pulling out world-class mm. saves that got them into the semi-final. Yeah. So whereas if you could say that Roma, sort of their weaknesses got exposed when they played the better sides, um, a main reason for getting that far was the fact that they had this incredible goalkeeper in, in between the sticks. So I, I, I agree with the point that Carius himself, he, he didn't even make an error in the Premier League last season, mm. but he made two in the Champions League final. So obviously that's going to define him. And, and Alisson made three... Um, none of them led to a goal, but the errors were there. And as I said, Carrius didn't make any in the league. And um, it, it sort of feels really unfair for him to be pushed aside. But I just think one defining moment like that is, is, is it ends a career. And, and I agree with it. I, not, not in the sense that I think Carrius shouldn't deserve a chance elsewhere. I just think I can't see a path for him now at Liverpool because there will always be that extra scrutiny. Yeah. And whereas now it's a different sort of scrutiny with Allison's world record price tag, um, you just you're just waiting for Carriers to make a mistake, mm. um, because you've seen him make really high profile ones before. And, and he's made two now. In yeah, and, and no one deserves that. Yeah, as you said, it's you, I think you can already see the product of it in pre season. Mm. The fact he's getting called out by a Tranmere player for not being a very good goalkeeper, <laughs> which is obviously ridiculous because he's a Champions League finalist goalkeeper. He made mistakes there, but he had the most clean sheets in the Champions League last season. As Mo said, his, his, Liverpool's defensive record in the second half of the season, when he came in, he kept 10 clean sheets in, in eight, uh, 18 or 19 games for Liverpool. And they didn't concede many in that time either. Mm. So, Carrius, yeah, I think Alisson is an upgrade. I'll, I'll highlight that. But I agree with Mo in the sense that in terms of goalkeeping ability, he is an upgrade. But the, the more importance was because he made those mistakes that they just needed someone else. And they've ticked every box in the sense that Alisson is a complete goalkeeper. He... He's dribbling past players as well, which I think is underrated. He, <laughs> That's going to be fun his, to watch. His, He's going to try that, isn't he? His composed demeanour, I think, sort of... You were saying that he doesn't really have a defining quality, but I think because he's so calm and collected you don't realise that he's actually doing like Cruyff turns in his own box <laughs> and you don't realise that he's sort of dribbling past opponents. He had a 100% take on completion rate, um, which was and it was 6 out of 6, which doesn't sound a lot, but that was the most out of any goalkeeper to complete 100%. So he's got this confidence, he's got this composure, he's comfortable with the ball at his feet and he's brilliant um, using his hands as well. So, yeah, I feel sorry for Karius, but Alisson is, is objectively a better goalkeeper. And in yeah. terms of hair, I'll just add one final thing, right? <laughs> Karius has, a, um, Alisson has an exceptional beard, right? Really well maintained. And Karius, I've, t- I've said it before, I'll say it again, you can't be a goalkeeper and have a hair, haircut like that. You can't have a top knot, ponytail, whatever. You, he's got to cut that hair. His life will turn around instantly. He'll get a move to some... Like a Wolfsburg level team, and he'll reinvent himself like Kevin De Bruyne did. <laughs> it's, it's what needs to happen. And I'm telling you right now, if David De Gea comes back from the World Cup with that stupid thing on his head, same thing. He's gonna he's gonna suffer at some point in the season, <laughs> just like he did at the World Cup. Everyone was like, oh no no. I was like, look, trust me. He's got he had a great season, but he's had that he's got that haircut. He'll mess that, up. That's the ground breaking statistical analysis we expect from the uh, absolutely. This is, it. <laughs> this, this, this is this is the real hard stuff. <laughs> Goalkeepers cannot have ponytails. So moving things on. Um, <laughs> Alisson isn't going to be the only goalkeeper uh, on the move this summer. Looks like Thibaut Courtois is finally going to get his move to Real Madrid. Um, so I'd like to know who you think Chelsea should turn to to make their number one. Obviously, there's been some rumours about Petr Cech. Quite yeah, a few I'm, names I'm, in the mix. Kasper Schmeichel. I'm going to say Jesper Sillison. I think that's that's by far the most sensible option. I was thinking that might even be a good choice, for, a good shout for Liverpool. But especially now that Chelsea have got Sadi, it's it's the most it's the sanest choice in an insane world, you know. Casper Schmeichel would probably be cheaper, be easier to get to, less issues about will he settle, will he, won't he settle. And of course, Casper Schmeichel's personality is pure savvy, you know, very, very similar to Reina, very loud, very confident, very big. But you look at the skill set, Jasper Sillison, uh, to be a savvy goalkeeper, you have to be great with your feet. I think he almost values that more than actual saving ability because Pepe Reina was his goalkeeper at Napoli for I don't know how long. And Reina hasn't been as good with his hands as he is with his feet for like, I don't know, a decade. Um... <laughs> So, you know, to play Sadie Ball, you have to, everyone has to be able to play. Everyone has to be able to pass. Everyone has to be able to participate, which is, um, 
yeah, which, which makes Casper Schmeichel. I mean, he's not bad with his feet, but like his primary thing is whacking it downfield for Jamie well, yeah, Vardy. He's probably got the longest kick in the Premier League. Yeah, it, it's, it's but it's you know Chelsea are looking to offload Giroud. Are they? Are they not? It's that's not really what what Chelsea need is someone who can play. And Jasper Sillerson is far too good to be a backup. I, don't, I still don't know how he's happy being a backup at Barcelona. I mean, I know it's Barcelona, but that's still ridiculous. He's won. He's played. He's been there two seasons. He's only, he only started regularly in one competition. That's the Copa del Rey. He's won it both years. He's been there. You know, the guy to do that. Only guy to do that before him was Testegen, who's now one of the best goalies in the world. Sillerson is. He's twenty-seven, so he's not like young, but he's goalkeeper young. You know. Yeah. He's he's a good. He's good with his hands. He's he's a he's a big guy. He's got a good frame. Good good impressive presence, and he's phenomenal with the ball at his feet. Ajax school, Dutch, gone to Barcelona. I mean, only gotten better at Barcelona, and. In terms of what Chelsea need, that's exactly it. He's got a 60 million buyout clause. I think you could probably get him for 40 million. Yeah, I think. Um, Barca, aren't gonna, Barca aren't smart enough to hold out for the clause. I think you could probably get him for 40. Um, Maybe bundle him into the uh, the Willian deal. I mean, well, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get back to Willian. And, I mean, good Lord. But we'll get back to that in, in later. But yeah, yeah. why not try that? Why not be like, yeah, why don't you have a... You're a citizen. You can have... Yeah. But we'll get back to William later. But yeah, I think citizen is the one by far. I, th- I think I think another... I was trying to look at sort of... As we said, we identified there. What you need to be able to do is play passes and, and be comfortable. So I was looking... Obviously, Alisson strikes you as the best goalkeeper. But unfortunately, you can't get him. Um, <laughs> well, they wanted Ed- him, didn't they? Edison would be another brilliant uh, Sarri goalkeeper. Not going to get him. Um, so then I was just looking at sort of statistics that matched up with those two. And, and I don't think they will get him, but there's a the, the Dijon goalkeeper has actually got surprisingly high short pass statistics and dribbles attempted. So if they were looking for a really rogue option, maybe give him a maybe give him a um, a shout called Baptiste René. Um, that would be like my rogue, like if you were trying to find a statistical profile. But then um, Burnley have got three really good goalkeepers, and they all can't play. Um, that's a good show so again I don't think they're maybe going to match up but maybe you sort of get a Premier League goalkeeper and you say right because Tom Heaton people forget he was like going to be England's number one until his shoulder popped out like that wasn't because he was a bad goalkeeper so yeah I'm not saying that he's going to be the the typical Sarri goalkeeper but you maybe inquire with Burnley and then you've got um, Jan Sommer from Gladbach who is a Switzerland goalie Mm. I've been reading a lot of reports recently that he might be on the move and Whenever I watched him, he seems very... He's hes a very good shot stopper. I think that's what he's made his name for. But again, he looks comfortable with the ball. Again, he ranks highly on this short passing um, metric. So he's obviously encouraged to play with the ball at his feet. So if he's available for a cut price, um, then he might be worth bringing in. Because if, if Courtois goes, they're going to need a goalkeeper because they've got... Willie Caballero. Willie Caballero, <laughs> who we've seen definitely isn't uh, going to be up to it with his feet fresh from his assist I was, yeah. was going to say you know what maybe maybe they get they get Citizen and maybe they get Heaton as well or one of the Burnley guys because they yeah. need two I don't well, think they, they, don't just, think, they just sent Eduardo to the test didn't they I, I don't think you could you, <laughs> I don't think you could even have Caballero on the field in, in the Sally team he's shown already he can't even handle like he literally passed it to Rebic you yeah. know it, it, I don't think he you, you Good would pass, even it was, yeah. No, it, yeah it chipped up perfectly <laughs> I, 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 would, I would say you probably couldn't even put him on the field for Sadie I would if I'm uh, Chelsea I mean they probably won't because he's probably on small wages and he came for free but I would I would get rid of him I would get in Tillerson and one of the Burnley boys Heaton probably because um, Heaton will help you with the quotas because he's English obviously homegrown and if you ever have a problem with Tillerson or anyone I mean he's really solid Heaton so yeah, yeah. Summer, summer would be sort of my like if you want to go European, and maybe get because because uh, what I've read as well, they won't get much for Courtois, <laughs> so they're not going to be. Yeah, so he's it, got a year left. Yeah, yeah, so if they've just spent sixty million on Jorginho and they're they're going to be looking for mm-hmm. depending where the hazard goes, obviously they might not have loads of money. So <laughs> I think summer could be sort of the the maybe the budget option for a year at least, and then you try and identify a target that's pure. That's pure Sarri. Well, I mean, to bring in William back again, I mean, they're, they're apparently looking at like 80 million or something, so maybe they'll make their money <laughs> yeah, on Yeah, I guess, yeah. So moving away from uh, goalkeepers, moving to the midfield transfer market battle. We've got so many new new arrivals this yeah. summer. So Fred, Fabinho, Kaita, Jorginho, Torreira. Um, well, I'd like to know which player do you think is best suited to their new club? I mean, I did a rank on this. I literally got an order for you. <laughs> so, so I'll go with you. But the, fourth is, the thing is, first off, they're all suited to their clubs. This is this is a rare instance where all of the clubs have made really astute purchases. No one has sort of reached 
or gone for a famous name or gone for a hot name or something. They've just, they've made very good decisions. I mean, some of them are famous and hot names, but you know. So I think Fabinho comes in number four. He's a good fit, but he's not necessarily, with the way Liverpool are going to play, he might find himself getting a little bit exposed um, and being asked to cover a bit too much ground, but he's very good. He's very good. Fred is the fourth one. Fred, I think, would be an even, would be absolutely perfect if his manager wasn't Jose Mourinho. But we can't trust. We can't. No, we can't. How many people do we say that about? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you put Fred and Paul Pogba in the same midfield. That's magic waiting to happen. If your manager isn't Jose Mourinho, but their manager is Mourinho, so who the hell knows what's going to happen there? <laughs> you could even put Fred at the bottom of the list, to be honest. Maybe he'll be a good left back. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, they need one anyway. Uh, <laughs> Lucas Torreira is, I think, the second fit. Now, I, I should preface this: Lucas Torreira is in all, in literally every possible way, the perfect player for Arsenal. What they needed, what they've needed for literally a decade. Um, I can't, I couldn't imagine that they got him and not only they they got him cheap and they're getting him uncontested. Uh, This guy is incredible. Unless, if he, unless he has trouble settling into London, I can't see, anyway, this is not one of the, 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 this is not the deal of the summer. This is 30, what is it, 35 million? It's less than that. Less than that. Yeah, this this kid is incredible, and he's what twenty three. Uh, twenty two. He's twenty two. I'm getting well. yeah. He's twenty two. It's less than thirty five million. This guy is going to be an absolute rock star for Arsenal for years. He's perfect. But Jorginho has to go number one because he literally played for Sarri last season. Yeah, like the it, only it, one with the same manager, yeah, isn't he? Like, literally, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's Taylor made. Yeah, I mean, look, he fits statistically. It's like, what is it? He's played, he played um, 3,197 passes last season, attempted 100 plus passes in 15 games in Serie A. The most was 170 against Benevento. You know, so he's a pass machine and Chelsea want to play passing football with Sadi and he is now, I mean, he's there. Jorginho I, averages a pass every 50 seconds. 50 seconds. Which is, think, quite, which is quite a nice little number. He literally <laughs> keeps it ticking over. I mean, literally, you think about how, think about how, how that is. Count, watch a full match, count 50 seconds and just take every For one seconds. player, not just, but, a, yeah. not even a team to average. One, <laughs> one player and this guy's making a pass and it's just incredible. And then, but I would say, if, you, if you're going to add Kite into that list, which I didn't know because I think his deal was completely last season and he's kind of a different kind of midfielder to those guys. They're all holders. I would put Kaita second behind Jorginho. I think he's a he's an almost hand and glove fit with Jurgen Klopp in the same way that, that um, Sadio Mane was like, oh wait, that's brilliant. That's like really good um, hand and glove fit with Klopp and Klopp style of football. But I still think Jorginho is just is just the, the dream. I can't believe. Well, yeah, yeah, as, as we said, I think um, the Napoli president has been sort of firing a few shots at Sarri, saying that he tried to uproot the whole Napoli squad and take it to London. Um, because obviously he's got such a specific style of play that you need certain players to fill that and he obviously feels he doesn't have that at Chelsea yet um, by bringing Jorginho you could argue that he is the most important part of that Napoli puzzle mm. so he's at least got that sort of key uh, the key like cornerstone of it um, and he's bringing that to so he's bringing that to the Premier League so yeah I agree that Jorginho because he's literally playing under the same manager that built a whole system around his style of play that's the best fit but yeah Naby Kaita is probably the most exciting yeah, I, I really can't wait to see him. Because that guy's, again, he's young as well. That's what's scary. He's, mm. he's really young. Uh, he does everything on the pitch. And I was looking again, like sort of trying to build a stats profile of what he does. If you look through Navigator's numbers, he posts high in everything, attacking and defending. But um, he completed 67 take-ons in the Bundesliga last season and also uh, made 63 tackles. The only other midfielder to do that in the Premier League, again, I know there is sort of you've got to be careful cross-referencing yeah, but I think yeah. it's just good to sort of to paint a picture mm. the only midfielder to do that in the Premier League was Kevin De Bruyne who was 63 take-ons and 62 tackles so to build you sort of this idea of how complete a midfielder Naby Keita is mm. if you rate Kevin De Bruyne then you've got someone coming in for Liverpool now who is very capable of fulfilling the exact same job De Bruyne last season played sort of an advanced role in a three-man midfield yeah. Keita's going to do the same they're going to sort of be doing the same thing and, and he maybe may, won't create as many chances as in De Bruyne but you shouldn't underrate his creative ability as well. He's very good at sliding in that final through ball. I think he's already got a re- an assist for Sturridge that is sort of typical of what Cater will offer. So I'd say, again, I agree Jorginho is the best fit because he's literally playing under the same manager but Naby Cater for me is the most exciting and, and again, even Lucas Torreira. Uh, the point Mo made about how this this recruitment of midfielders has been probably the best in a while. Each each team has identified exactly what they needed and found a brilliant fit for it. Uh, Torreira, again, he's going to be Shaka's legs if they play together. Mm. Um, 
and and that's a really exciting prospect for Arsenal fans. But but yeah, Naby Keita maybe it is because he's the more attacking of those five. He yeah, mouth watering. Uh, looking ahead yeah. to next season, he's pure Premier League as well. That's the thing. Yeah. He's so, it's it's you know he's so athletic, but also so skillful on the ball. His his ability to control the ball at high speeds is fantastic, and that's something that people often underrate because there's a lot of fast players in the world, a lot of fast players in the Premier League, but what those that can actually control the ball while going at those speeds. Because mm. you know, I mean, Gareth Bale can't, for instance. Gareth Bale's a phenomenal player, but he kicks the ball like fifty yards ahead of him and runs after it and gets there. <laughs> Uh, you look at someone like Leo Asane, someone like, I mean, uh, to a lesser degree, Messi, the way they control the ball when going that quickly, that makes a huge difference. And, and Naby Keita has that. You watch him slalom through midfield. I'm, I'm sure there's loads of welcome to Liverpool videos on YouTube right now. Go look <laughs> at them. Watch him just slalom through opponents. Like, like it's just like the guy is just like he's a skier downhill. Mm. It's incredible. So with, with there being so many new faces um, yeah. across the, the, the Premier League's midfield, which top six team do we think has the strongest midfield? Um, I think at this stage it's 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 hard to say, isn't it? Um, I think just how good they were last season. I think Man City. I think obviously it's going to be a lot more tougher than this this season. But I think Man City's um, midfield last season was absolutely superb. So I would have to stick with them for now. But I think obviously without stating the obvious, time will tell as we head into the first sort of five games of the seat, the proper Premier League season. Um, we'll see, you know, which team's going to be telling it on. Uh, obviously, Liverpool, uh, as I say, they've added their added to their in their strength and depth as well. Georgina at Chelsea, I think, will work well with um, Kante in there. Um, I think Fabregas yeah. as well will be a bit more of an integral part this season under Sarri. Um, I saw him in a few pre-season training sessions over the weekend uh, over the internet, and uh, he looked like he was kind of a key key player in his uh, in his sort of training drills. Um, so, as I say, hard to say, but I'd say at this point I've got to stick with Man City at the moment. But um, it's going to be an exciting season. I think it's um, we're going to see some nice football being played across the Premier League. Yeah, I think that point about Kante is actually sort of overlooked. Um, yeah, that's, that's Na- yeah, that's a really good point because Napoli's sort of Sarismo midfield. They're very specific roles in that midfield, and he's obviously got his Jorginho, and then to the right of him, you usually have this sort of. Um, completely energetic midfield presence that will dri- t- carry the ball forward, tackle the ball, and sort of sort of vertical running throughout the pitch, and and um, and making up for other people's m- misplaced passes. Mm. Uh, Sari had Allen do that last season, who was sort of ranked second for tackles one. Um, uh, Lucas Leiva was first, Torreira was third, so that gives you a sort of again that's more ammo for Torreira fans out there as well. Yeah. He's ranked ranks up with those players. Um, but then what they're missing and what Fabregas will potentially play the role of is this sort of more advanced left-sided midfielder that sees a lot of the ball and it's sort of is Jorginho's first outlet. And, and last year, obviously, that was Marek Hamsik, who saw Napoli all-time record goal scorer, brilliant attacking midfielder, both-footed, um, can shoot from anywhere, can create from anywhere. And Chelsea perhaps don't have that. Um, Fabregas obviously used to play as a false nine in uh, for Spain and, and for Barcelona, so he has that attacking pedigree. Mm. But whether he now has that dynamism to play there will be really interesting. I feel like he could still do a role there. Mm. I just don't know if Sarri will want to rely on him to fulfil it. Mm. So Chelsea's midfield on paper, Kante Jorginho is is an incredible match. I think Sarri would have walked in and seen Kante filling that Allen role and think. I've actually might have upgraded here. Mm. He, he <laughs> yeah. might he might yeah. be tested more on the ball, but that that right midfielder wasn't had some of the lowest pass. If you're looking at pass per ninety of every Napoli player, Allen wasn't up there relative to midfielders as well. The people that pass are Jorginho and that left-sided midfielder. Fabregas we know is a brilliant passer. He's a brilliant creator. I just worry that maybe the dynamism isn't there to fulfil the role. But uh, as Pete said there, he could play an integral part if they don't find someone in the transfer market. What about um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek? Yeah, that's another one where I'd love to see him play in that role because, again, he is creative. He can carry the ball. He can win, win fouls. Uh, he needs to find that sort of killer goal-scoring instinct if you wanted to nail down a role there. But mm-hmm. you would love to see him given the chance. And even Ross Barkley, uh, again, you forget about him because he's been injured. But his profile of a player is very similar to what would what Sarri would look for in that role whether he trusts him and whether he's fit enough to carry that out but they have got three players that are all competing for that role but none of them are actually 100% going to start so I think for the first part of the season at least we'll definitely see him 
experimenting with who to play there unless they obviously bring in sort of a high profile right this is the guy I'm going to play there I'd be surprised if they bring someone in there they're, they're in the Europa League and they've got other you know maybe more pressing needs like up front I don't think Morata will be the guy um, for Sally but I think um, I think Jake said it there there are three guys there's there's, there's Sesk there's Loftus-Cheek and then there's Barkley I think those two will compete for the role I think Sesk will be the best fit because I think no, obviously, again, as I said, no dynamism, but his movement is still spectacular. Mm. He's such a clever player. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, defensively, whatever, he's yeah, terrible. But that, he, there'll he, be no, that's the point, that's, isn't that's it? That's the whole point of that system. You, is you Jorginho it, does it, yeah. and, and Kante does two midfielders work. Exactly, that's the, that, that's the beauty of it. This is, this is, we could be about to see a Cesc Fabregas sort of renaissance. I know he played very well when they won the league title two yeah. years ago, but I think this could be genuinely Cesc back to his most Cesc-ness. Cesc-est? <laughs> I don't know, whatever. sound like a Twitter handle. I do, I do. I do. It, but you know what I mean? It's like, this yeah. is... Because playing the deeper role, we all love the idea of him being a quarterback because his passing range is so good, but he doesn't have anything like the mobility or defensive responsibility to play there. Even with two guys, even with Kante playing next to him, Chelsea was still open. Yeah. You know, it's because uh, he just does nothing. And it's... Um, but you put him further forward and you, you have you have the ultimate pass machine behind him just spitting the ball up every 50 seconds and you have Kante still behind him. You know, this could be it. This could be the yeah. real Cesc Renaissance because you know he's going to be floating into attacking areas. His movement is exceptional. He can still finish. He can still score goals. Yeah, definitely. Um, final passes galore. I think this is going to be this is his time. And I think that's partly why he um, he very quickly walked back those comments about about um, <laughs> Conte. Just like I don't want to upset the new Italian manager. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh no, yeah, Conte, yeah, good guy. He was good. You know, it's. Uh, I think he wants to play under Sadi. I think he will play. And as Pete says, I think he's already looking pretty integral. I think he'll have a big season. I just hope it doesn't negatively impact Loftus Cheek too much. I want Loftus yeah. Cheek to play. The thing is, the, the uh, one final point that we, is really key on that is Hamshik hardly ever played ninety minutes. Yeah. So, true. so they used him as like, you are our main guy. You're the captain. We want you, but we'll win the game in sixty minutes, and then I'll just bring on Zielinski, who was a brilliant young player yeah. that Sari helped develop. But Zielinski never really started. That could be Loftus Cheek. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you, you, the ideal scenario would maybe again for a season be use Fabregas and play him play him basically an, an hour at a time um, and then you develop Barkley or Loftus-Cheek in the Europa League plus as the substitute um, because yeah the more you think about it now is actually it's actually quite exciting to think that maybe we do see Peaks as Fabregas again because although I said he's lost the mobility 31 years old he is the same sort of age as Hamshik mm. and if Hamshik was I, I personally loved watching him for Napoli so now it would be sort of almost hypocritical to say that Fabregas couldn't fulfil the same role so I think that's a good point to point out that Chelsea's midfield actually two of the two two of the three places are brilliant and then there's this potential for Fabregas to take off once again. Again, Man United's I think on paper, Matic, Fred, Pogba is kinda of monstrous, but again you have to look to account who the manager is. Yeah. I think if, if if you had any if you put Man United's midfield with any of the top six managers, it would be the best midfield, which sounds weird to say, but you look at the sheer ability of Fred and Pogba and Matic is just very big very strong very powerful you you play them in a, in a sort of inverted three so you have two guys and then one guy not a 4-2-3-1 but like you have Fred G. Moore at the base next to Matic Matic is just defending and then then he can run forward Fred stays at the base or orchestrates the play and Pogba moves forward into, into attacking zones and just absolutely destroys everyone and Fred is such a quick passer at the base midfield such a quick mover he can escape the press that, Matic, that was United's big problem before with Matic there Matic passes the ball very slowly and apart from a few handful of moments, he doesn't really carry the ball very well. Um, so in theory, again, this is in theory because Mourinho is their coach, that midfield three is, is very, very, very strong. But it's not going to work out like that. I think I have to agree with Pete ultimately. City's midfield is still the standard. They need a new defensive midfield because Fernandinho is 33, 34 now. And, you know, as we saw in the World Cup, the guy's got weaknesses. So... You know, De Bruyne is amazing. David Silva is amazing. I think Riyad Mahrez is signing means Bernardo Silva is going to play more in field as well. Yeah. It, he's going to now start to try. They, they're, going to, they're going to have a changing of the Silvers, you know, in midfield. So I think as, as long as they sign a new defensive midfielder to be the heir to um, uh, Bernardino or sign a left back and move Delph in there, um, as long as they do that, their midfield is streets ahead of everyone. So um, obviously, so far we've just been talking about the top six mainly. But if we look look beyond that, um, as there's been a lot, a lot of transfers taking place that have that have been quite interesting, um, and I'd like to know which, which ones caught your eye the most. Um, I think 
I think Fulham's capture of Sean Michael Seri has got to be the standout one. Uh, yeah. It sort of came from nowhere, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. The, <laughs> the guy was sort of nailed on to join Barcelona last summer and ended up posting in a open, an open letter about how upset he was the move had broken down. So for him to be attracting interest from the, the La Liga champions to be um, says something a lot about uh, the talent he has. And again, if you look at what Fulham did last season, they passed every team to death that was what they Absolutely did and right. they they maintained that sort of 60% 65% possession average against each opponent they played and they've brought a guy that did exactly that for Nice uh, Seri was sort of the leader of, of passes leader of chances created leader of through balls all the metrics that you'd associate with a possession heavy team Seri was that main guy in a in a, an objectively stronger team than Fulham uh, he was obviously playing in a knee side that ended up finishing fourth in, in 2015-16 to get them Champions League. They couldn't repeat that. Um, they couldn't repeat that form in 2016-17. Or maybe, I think I've counted back an extra season there. Yeah, but yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. 16, 17, I, can't, I forget, really time good. goes so fast. <laughs> but two seasons ago, yeah. he played really well. Last season, didn't play as well. Maybe that's why Barcelona didn't come back in. But the fact that you'd identify him as a target in the first place means that this is a serious coup for Fulham. Um, and I was reading uh, I was sort of following their friendly with Leon the other day they got battered 4-0 so that maybe not isn't a good sign but uh, the, the sort of person running the Fulham count was trying to give a really detailed view of what Seri was being asked to do mm. and they said oh he's dropping in between the centre-backs he's playing the like sort of quarterback role so they've obviously identified someone that's be- going to become their Jorginho in a sense the guy that just has all the touches all the passes dicta- dictates the play isn't Seri isn't brilliant defensively. He's going to play deep by the sounds of it, but he's not going to be their main sort of defensive output. They're going to try and keep the ball, and his main role will be to do that. So I'm really looking to forward to see him play for Fulham and whether they can sort of escape the the pressure of changing their style. I think like as we said, I think we always use Bournemouth as the as the example. They're the they're the team that tries to play football, but they're not going anywhere with it and. And do you become like Burnley? You just become sort of a, a solid defence and, and get Europa League football. So I hope Fulham stay true to it. It'll be a test, but they've brought someone in that will help them impose their style on other teams rather than get styles imposed upon them. Yeah, I, I mean, think, sorry, go uh, on, mate, no, go on. Go on. I was, I was going to say, Seri. I think that's a fantastic shout, fantastic signing by them. The reason Barca didn't go back is because they signed Arthur, the Brazilian, who. 21 years old, same positional profile as Seti. So I think that's basically, they thought, oh, well, we'll sign younger, more potentially better guy. I think Seti's phenomenal. I think what's going to be fun to watch is his long passing over the top. Very quick, very fast, long through balls over the top for Ryan Sessegnon. That's going to be fun. So, But obviously, now Jack's nicked my idea. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I mean, there's three that stand out for me, right? At top side, top six. Uh, Ricardo Ferreira to Leicester. I think 25 million euros is a fair amount of money, but I think he's a really, really solid right back. That um, was ages ago. Now, it was. It? It, <laughs> that's before the World Cup. I know, but it's. I, I still think it's a good signing. Rupert Patricio to Wolves is obviously the wait what signing of the yeah. summer. It's like, I mean, they got it for free, but now it looks like Sporting might come back and try and get some compensation. Mm. But I think, and it hasn't happened yet. But I think Yerry Mina to Everton is looking more and more likely for seventeen million euros. I think that's phenomenal. That's a brilliant sign. As you saw at the World Cup, that guy is an incredible defender. He's. Look, on, on the ground, he can be a bit ropey, but in the air, he's phenomenal. He's just an absolute titan. And what, what the Premier League defenders need to be good at, above all else, is defending aerial balls, defending crosses. You put him with Pickford, who is also excellent, you know, at uh, the World Cup, they will be a phenomenal little duo there. You know, Mina can score goals for fun. You know, and Everton have got Guilfrey Sigerson, who takes great set pieces. I think that's a match made in heaven. 70 million euros for a defender of his talent. He's 24 as well. It's absurd. Um, I'm sure Barca will put a buyback in there, but I think that's very good. Everton have got a history of helping Catalans, well, Catalans, but uh, Spanish speakers settle very well in the region. Uh, you know, I think that's, uh, that's a, if they can pull it over the line, that's a phenomenal bit of business. He, he can't play passing football out of the back very well, necessarily. That's where Barcelona mm. catch him out. Playing in the high line, bring, bringing the ball out of the back. He's not the best at that. He's not the best. He's not David and Sanchez. You know, both Colombian. He's, he's the lesser of the two footballers. Davison Sanchez is the guy you want if you want to bring out the back. But the reason it's such a good partnership is because he does that and then, then Jeremy is just a dominant force in the air, defensively, physically. Mm. And I think that's going to be... If Everton can get that one over the line, that's huge. That's really, really good. And that will allow them to 
you know, to, that that will allow Michael Keane to just develop his own sort because of, Keane's good in the air as well, but Keane's also better on the ball. Keane, and that will, that will allow Keane to sort of develop. No, I mean, he has this gigantic bodyguard next to him, sort of, instead of having to carry the corpse of Phil Jagielka. You know? <laughs> I was going to say, as long as they've been off Williams and Jagielka this season, like, whatever, no matter what they've been in the past, good defenders, good Premier League defenders, last year they looked absolutely yeah. woeful. You put, you put Keane next to Yeremina instead of one of those two guys, and instantly Everton become like an actual good team. Mm. You know, and it's going to. I think that's what they tried to achieve with Mangala, but he, again, he sort of exposed himself as yeah. being a bit injury prone and. Really yeah. erratic. Yeah, that's the problem. And I mean, and they've got they've got rid of Everton. They've got rid of Everton. They've got rid of Rooney. So that's huge. That's a huge because I mean Rooney was a sentimental thing. It was like oh Wayne Rooney, we love him, but that was always a horrible fit. He was finished as a footballer a long time ago. What what, what about Richarlison? What do we think of that? Oh, that's what's going to go mean, over the line. It's, big, it's a lot of money. It, yeah. it's, it's it's a lot of money. It's for, for that, a three month. That's the thing. Spell of form. That's the thing. It's a lot oh, of money. God, triggered me with that comment. It's, it's, <laughs> let's see what he does. He's obviously phenomenally talented, and I think Marco Silva. If anyone knows how to get the best out of him, it's Marco Silva, obviously. Yeah, really. I think that's probably why the price yeah. has been driven yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, what for the same? be like? Hmm, wonder why manager. you want him? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like, just quickly on Richarlison, uh, he played a full season in Brazil and then played the most minutes of any Watford player last season yeah. uh, was incredible in the first season ranked highest for or he ranked in the top three for shots chances created aerial duels um, assists goals like he did everything and he's got the physical profile and the technical profile to be any sort of forward that Marco Silva wants him to be that's why he's expensive his output last season was disappointing and towards the end yes he did look bad but if you if he tones who, up who didn't know Watford yeah exactly after, after Christmas they were just yeah but if you so all of his in terms of percentages everything was sort of 50 or below which is bad mm. and that's objectively yeah you want to improve that but if you tune everything up to 60% you've then got that five goal four assist striker in three months and you've got that for the whole season so I think the upshot and the ceiling of Richarlison as a player is massive and yeah 50 million sounds like a lot but if it's 35 million with add-ons and then what is he, other bonuses yeah he's 21 and it was his first season <laughs> in the Premier League and he got made into sort of the main attacking force of a Watford side like if you're bad, you don't get that. Doesn't happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it might be a bit much, but I think a lot of people will be sort of being like, ah, that's why they bought him. Maybe not. Maybe not even this season, but they've been looking for a Romelu Lukaku replacement. Mm. What does Romelu Lukaku do? He was the he was the ability to play on the wing. He was physical. He could dribble. He could finish. Richarlison can't do all that yet. But if you were looking at a profile of a player, he could very much become that sort of striker again. And he might become the centre forward. He's very much a left winger that will cut in, but as is sort of the modern trend now when you're a forward, you still on the left wing because there's less responsibility. But Marco Silva developing, developing, the fact that he can be strong in the air, the mm-hmm. fact that he can win fouls, the fact that he can dribble past people, there's a making of a really, really strong centre forward there. And that's mm-hmm. what they've been lacking since they got rid of Lukaku. Yeah. There's another player who I'm looking forward to seeing. That's James Madison at, at Leicester. Yes. Which is another one that sort of happened right at the start of the summer and people yeah. sort of tend to have forgotten about. But I think that's going to be really interesting to see how he And obviously on. they're trying to fill the Riyad Mahrez hole somehow. They might not do it by getting a winger that cuts in, but they're going to be looking for more creative output and sort of goals and assists from somewhere else. I com- yeah, I completely forgot they'd signed him. Um, and also, Mo, you touched on uh, Patricio. Yeah. Obviously, Wolves are, are being tipped to be the, the, the surprise package of the season. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on who you think will be this season's Burnley. I mean, you don't, you don't want to say Wolves are surprised because they're backed by George Mendes. So, like, kind of, <laughs> of course. But Wolves, I think you have to, it's hard to look past Wolves, really. I mean, Rui Patricio is an incredible signing. Um, just, I mean, just absolutely... It's hard to put into words. And the thing is, there's more George Mendes clients out there to be got. You can bet there's going to be some some big clubs who are unhappy with their minutes. And George, George will be like, hey, why don't you come over to Wolverhampton? I've got a lot of sway there. I've got Nuno Espirito Santo. He's still, he hasn't burned out his goodwill yet like he always does. By the way, watch out for that, Wolves fans. Because at some point, it's all going to start going wrong. And you're not going to be able to understand why. And it's because Nuno Espirito Santo, very Mourinho, very Mendes-esque, runs on conflict. Runs on sort of, ah, bravo and attitude and stuff like that. And that eventually just stops working. And then everyone just... That's, at Valencia, for example, he was amazing for like a season and a half. Really, really good. And then just like overnight just became rubbish. And I think that's the worry with Wolves. I don't think it will happen just yet. I think there's still room for them to grow. But I think they might finish like seventh or something this season. And then suddenly next season, inexplicably, they're all rubbish. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ruben Neves still is, is a, has always been a Premier League quality midfielder. Even 
like top Champions League quality midfielder. So he's gonna, he's now going to be at his level. Mm. Um, he's still so young, and he's still like he's, yeah, he's like twenty one, isn't he? Yeah. Like that. He's phenomenal. He's the, he's the Portuguese Xavi. I don't know why or how he managed to go to Wolves. I mean, I know why, but like <laughs> it's just the bigger clubs should have been all over that guy, captain at eighteen of Porto, and that was a bit weird. But like he's he's been there. He was their best player at eighteen. He's He's incredible. He's just incredible. He's going to be so good next year to watch. Um, so I would say Wolves outside shout for Fulham just because they play they play their own style of play and it's that's always hard if they remain confident in what they're doing. That's always hard to judge for and, and assessing you in the Premier League. I mean, if he scores a few early goals, man, we've seen with Harry Kane not this season but in his first season we've seen what a wave of confidence can do for a player with really good talent. You know, and it's like if Sessegnon scores a couple scores some early goals in the Premier League everyone's going to be buzzing off this guy and he's going to feel so full of confidence and as long as Fulham don't overuse him, yeah, I think, but Re- I think Wolves are the, the champ. Realistically, I think if Sessegnon starts well, has, has a good first half of the season, then someone's going to buy him in January and put put the dough down. I th- uh, yeah, I think even mm. if that happened in January, it would be like, finish the season, but then we're getting you in the summer. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it would be finished the minutes, but there's potential for that to happen. Um, my sort of shout for that I just want to sort of I want to sort of go opposite and just say that by the way don't get sucked in by West Ham's business. That's the thing that I'd want to say. It's like they're buying some like cool names and and some really exciting players. But like as I said, in terms of name, but their recruitment as we were sort of praising sort of the midfield um, purchases that had been made. Uh, Felipe Anderson, yes, has the potential to be very good, but only played a thousand minutes last season, so there's that injury proneness. Jack Wilshere. For free is very good, um, but I feel like he's still living off a reputation of when he was a brilliant youngster. I don't think he's going to quite replicate that. Um, and then they've just made a couple of signings that are like, yeah, Yarmolenko was at Dortmund for a season. Why would why would Dortmund sell him at a loss if he was this brilliant winger mm-hmm. that was br- good on football manager? Like I'm I'm a bit scared that uh, West Ham's business has been a bit career mode, <laughs> and it could that could they could be this season's Everton in the sense that they've spent a lot of money and it looks like they've bought in loads of players. We all got sucked in and got excited by Everton, but hold on, there was no actual plan. I like Pellegrini, so maybe that's the difference, but yeah, I'm and concerned. They have pace. They have pace yeah, there but I'm fun. concerned about West Ham rather than sort of, so they're sort of my opposite of that tape. Mm-hmm. If you were going to say a team that could be in trouble that shouldn't be in trouble, it would be them. What about you, Pete? Is there anyone who's caught, caught your eye during pre-season? Um, none in particular. I think I, I think if you're a West Ham fan, um, I actually think you'd be excited about the signings they've made. Um, I think Wilshere has got the opportunity now to really. Obviously, he was loved at Arsenal. He didn't really get the opportunities. And I think injury got in the way. I think if he keeps himself fit, I think at West Ham under Pellegrini and with the sort of positive signings they've made, he can really um, have a sort of exciting and. Um, sort of landmark season for him. I think he's always been one of those guys that so just as as he's. Um, Getting into the swing of things, he, he, he picks up an injury and he's never really shown how class he is. I think he might have the opportunity to do that at West Ham this season. So, um, as well as their other signings and with Pellegrini at the helm now, I think they're going to have a very... Ex- well, I hope for their sake, I think the fans deserve an exciting season. And they've been through a lot the last few years. I think hopefully this season, things uh, might look a bit more prosperous for them. Yeah. And, and obviously, we're talking about who's going to be the new Burnley. How do we think Burnley are going to get on in the, in the Europa League? Their squads are looking. Have they signed anyone? Haven't, haven't signed anyone yet. No. <laughs> yeah, that's that's concerning because uh, they had a small squad anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was very much built on. I know their style is probably not that intensive in terms of like. Well, they made Jack Court covered the most distance, so he needs some help. Otherwise, he's going <laughs> to literally run himself into the ground. But yeah, Burnley in general are a bit concerned. I, I'm sort of an idealist and purist and maybe a bit naive, but I, I think those sort of defensive, like hyper-defensive situations aren't that sustainable either. I think eventually, because they had that 10-game or winless streak, didn't they, yeah. last season? Um, so they've definitely got the, the things in place to perform well and, and, and not get relegated, but I feel like trying to replicate a seventh-place finish with other teams around them sort of spending money and looking like they're sort of trying to develop a philosophy. I think... Burnley aren't going to have the same fairy tale season as last season, but I'd be very pleased with Sean Dyche to see them do something with the Europa League campaign they've got ahead, because that would be that would be really cool to see them sort of get past past a few teams and and as we've seen, if you can defend well, that has been the 
sort of in in terms of tournament or knockout sort of structures everyone at the world cup that defended well went the furthest rather mm. than the attacking team so as i said i maybe i know nothing and think in terms of like a short termist point of view i think burnley's system and and the players they've got and what they're trying to build might sort of fall apart soon but this season this particular season might be the one last hurrah where they just build on this mm. solid defense and don't concede any goals and and sort of rely on some yeah Obviously, they, they've talent. got to get past Aberdeen first, but yeah. it would be great to see them sort of draw a really big team in the group stage, isn't it? That's I what I mean. That, but in, sorry, just too no, le- no, no. too leggedly, their, their style of football is perfect for that. Yeah. Don't concede away from home, win one at home. You're free. Yeah, I think they're in big trouble. I think if you look at historically tiny teams that have overachieved like this, you look in, in La Liga, you look at uh, Celta Vigo, made the, Real Sociedad made the Champions League one year, Celta Vigo did it, next season they get relegated. Uh, trying to stretch a small squad over one competition for thir- basically 38 games a season. We've seen already with Chelsea, and Chelsea have much better players than Burnley. It's one thing when you're playing one game every week, as Chelsea Chelsea stormed to the league title, always looked tactically prepared, always looked like they knew what they were doing, because they had all week to train. They had all week to train, they were well rested, they had rest days, and they had like three solid days of training, and then they had another rest day, and then they could train, they could play the game. When you're playing in Europe, you literally don't get that kind of... You maybe get one day a week to train, properly train tactically. Otherwise, you're just doing rest. You're doing prep work, rest, prep work. Uh, you know, that makes it very difficult to do what Burnley did. Burnley always knew what their opponents were going to do. They always had a very solid plan to stop them. You know, I worry what's going to happen now. Now that they've got a game every every few days. And it's Europa League as well. It's even more awkward than Champions League. It's Thursdays. That's really awkward. It's going to delay all their games to, to Sunday. You're not going to have much rest. Um, unless Sean Dyche treats the Europa League as just a sort of treat to play his young players or something. Um, but they, do they even or, have that? I, don't, I mean, it don't strike me as how you even having a, I mean, a deep, yeah, deep-rooted youth squad. Yeah, I don't even know. He what certainly they, doesn't rotate a lot. I mean, yeah. this this is just to say, I think this is, this is, it would be nice. It would be amazing if they could somehow pull it off. It would be a miracle because it would be nice. To, and I do think, actually, if they prioritise the Europa League, I think they could pr- pretty much go far in it. I think they get out of the group. I think the group stages, no one's going to want to play Burnley. They're really awkward, very difficult. We saw what Fulham did in 2010. When they made the final with it. Well, it was the end of the Cup, but we saw what they did. It's very hard to play against a team that's defensively solid and knows how to break on you at home. But... That, that would basically, for me, that would entail they'd have to almost disregard the Premier League. They'd have to start rotating resting players in the Premier League because otherwise they'll be exhausted for the Europa League. If they do that, I, think they, I do think they're in danger of not maybe not getting relegated, but it wouldn't surprise me if they were sucked into a dogfight because juggling two competitions is very difficult. Sean Dyche has never done it. Uh, the Burnley squad has never done it except before. He'll know what it's like a little bit, but I mean, how fit is he even going to be? Um... It was a fairy tale last season. It was amazing. They deserved their finish. I'm not saying they didn't deserve it. They fully deserved it, but they haven't improved. As Jake says, everyone else around them has improved. They haven't improved. They've stayed absolutely the same, unless they do make some really, really good signings. And I think almost for them, it will be quality, quantity over quality. They just need depth. They need bodies so they can rotate. Um, but if they, unless they make signings, I suspect they will crash pretty hard this season. It's definitely going to be interesting. Um, so finally... Um, it's time for a bit of a pre-season chat. Uh, the International Champions Cup games got underway at the weekend. Yes, what a tournament! <laughs> and uh, yeah, I wanted to see what, what, what's the what's been the most absorbing absorbing pre-season friendly that, that you've watched so far. Arsenal's demolition of Boreham Wood was a <laughs> masterclass. Was a masterclass in attacking talent. But um, no, seriously, I uh, I really enjoyed the the Dortmund Man City game. Um, I went back to watch that one specifically because there are a few players I wanted to keep an eye on. And, and although although Man City's team does not resemble their Premier League title winners in any sense, really, what's really interesting is watching Dortmund um, under their. They've obviously got a new manager as well. Yeah. And um, there there's some really strong patterns of play that are developing there, uh, playing out from the back. They're, the goalkeeper that they've been using in the Champions Cup, um, they just signed on a free. And they've looked like, Father looks like he said, right, okay, you might not be our number one, but we're expecting you to do exactly what you should do. And it's really funny to watch him because he doesn't look that comfortable with the ball at his feet, but he just keeps always getting the ball given to him. And he's, again, we were saying with Alisson earlier, he's, as a goalkeeper now, you're tasked with almost being that first pass rather than yeah. a goalkeeper. So he's obviously implemented a style father on on Dortmund and it and it looks really interesting. The one thing they don't have is a striker, which is odd because there's been times where they've done all these patterns of play, they've worked a brilliant space, 
you're expecting a low cross into the box, which Man City were brilliant at last season. Um, there's no striker to tap it in. So they were really interesting. And I think Dortmund, um, with Bayern Munich sort of in limbo slightly with a new manager, some ageing players, mm. if, if, if Favre can get a striker, then Dortmund will be a potential title challenger this season because they look really interesting. And again, it's only two games, so that might be a sweeping generalisation of their play. But I'm always a massive fan of being able to see, oh, wait, they've worked on this rather than just like you yeah. watch Man United's pre-season games. <laughs> and again, I don't know, they don't have their squad at all, but like even with that Man City squad, you could see that Pep was trying to play the games. Phil Foden was playing games, which was really fun. But uh, yeah, Man United, they have just like four, or there was one picture that went on the internet where it was like two defenders and then there were eight people just in a straight line on the final line of defence. And it's like, are you working on any way to play football or yeah. are you just going to rely on David De Gea having a... Um, sort of inhuman season again I mean um, this is, that's the thing with Mourinho isn't it that's the big flaw he has is that offensively at least I mean even defensively now these days but offensively at least he his plan is okay you this is your formation go play like almost like he doesn't really put into, into plan opposition instructions any, any idea of how to build up the play it's just sort of like go out and make it up as you go along and do something and when that works what well, kind of works when you have Paul Pogba Romelu Lukaku uh, Ruckus Rashford, you know, world-class players playing for you. When you don't have them, when you have your B team because it's pre-season, you look, you look terrible. And United have looked terrible. They should have lost to the Earthquakes last night. And the Earthquakes are not a good team either, even by MLS standards. It's, it's just baffling. And there and are problems for them, man, because now, um, obviously, they're not going to have any of their starters, star forwards available for the opening game of the season. So that means Martial, who clearly doesn't want to be at the club, has to, has to be at the club, has to stay at least until the window is um the english window is shut definitely so he might get moved to on the continent somewhere but he's not going anywhere before opening night uh damian is probably going to, have to stay now because uh Dalot is out till september and valencia walked off injured last uh, last night so they're going to start damian who's terrible it's like i mean i mean they could start for Mensa right back which would work make sense but Mourinho won't do that you know, United look formless. For me, the, be- the more interesting game, I thought, I quite like PSG Bayern, just because the uh, son of the president of Liberia opened the scoring for PSG. <laughs> Timothy Ware. Nice, no, nice finish as well. It was a nice, very nice run. Good strength to hold off the defender and a lovely composed finish. He played pretty well, actually. Made some very good runs. Should have scored another one, but he had a good chance with his left a bit earlier on than that. Missed that. Um, it was fun watching Buffon and goal. Made a couple of good saves. <laughs> was kind of caught out for the, uh, well, very much caught out for the Bayern equaliser when he sort of came out flapped at nothing. And I mean, look, he's forty years old now. I don't know what what PSG are thinking there, apart from PR, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, again, it's hard to judge because none of those teams Bayern actually looked more complete than than PSG because of course Bayern had Robin and Ribery available. Um, 69 years old 69 years old yeah the, the, the ancient wingers give them a little bit of structure it's a little bit of familiarity um, and of course they have a good good view set up by and do to be fair mm. but um, PSG have got loads of really good young players that's the that's the weird thing about PSG and they've got Adrian Rabio, who is a phenomenal midfielder who either wants to leave or is expertly playing Barcelona to get a new contract I don't know which one it is mm. one of the two um, so they had PSG had a bit of better structure I think but Bayern when once they brought Robin on, it just, and started hammering the crosses in, it just like PhD were like, ah, want yeah. a whistle, please? I think people like it's easy to forget that um, Tuchel's PSG manager as well. Yeah, that was sort of like such a big signing at the time, and now obviously because that was done before the World Cup, it's like, wait, oh yeah, PSG have got yeah. this new manager that's meant to be sort of the ushering in a new age of, 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 mm. of tactical, technical clo- coaching. It's so. hard to do that with none of your players, though. that's the thing. Yeah, that's what it? I mean. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, the, the games get very disjointed, and that's, that's why I wanted to bring you on, uh, uh, on Pete. Um, is, is there much interest from punters in pre-season games? Obviously, it's pretty difficult to predict. You're not sure who's going to play, what the tactics are going to be. Is there still is, is there a lot of interest? I think from a fan's perspective, there's a lot of interest from, from afar. Um, so you've got the likes of Chelsea are down under, uh, Liverpool United, they're a state side, but I think in general the world of football is having a sort of a, a welcome hiatus in the, sort of the next couple of weeks um, after a hectic World Cup in 2017-18 season. Um, still a bit of interest in the pre-season football, as I say, in terms of betting. Uh, I think that'll only pick up um, as we start to get closer and closer to the new season. But the last sort of week or so, I think, as you say, it's been a bit of a welcome rest. Um, there's obviously uh, uh, sort of Euro under-19 action to keep us occupied. 
uh, most notably England v France um, this afternoon. England two to one, France eleven to ten. So that should be quite a good game. Uh, we should see a nice bit of money come in this afternoon on that. Um, as, as I mentioned just now, um, we've obviously got. Um, a lot of English clubs starting to head out on their pre-season tours. Uh, Chelsea facing Perth on Monday afternoon as well. Uh, United and Liverpool go head-to-head again uh, this this week. Uh, well, late, I think it's Thursday this week now. Um, so, yeah, I think we should see a bit of interest on the day for those. But, um, as I say, it's, it's generally a quieter time of year um, in terms of football betting. I think the, the interest comes from fans and seeing sort of how their new signings are going to kind of settle in um, and how they're going to slot in and sort of try and read into different starting lineups and things like that. But as you say, um, there's not too long to go till the start of uh, the season. But again, there's long enough for a lot to change and um, for sort of signings to come in and slot in. So, um, yeah, no, interesting. But um, as I say, quite a time for the betting at the moment. Yeah. I would say the... That's right, Jack. No, I was going to say, yeah. like almost forgot, Man United were playing Liverpool. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a little tasty one. Well, yeah. That's the thing. I think that's going to be really, really interesting to watch, purely because Mourinho's tactic against Liverpool is consistently: let's play for a nil-nil, let's get our point and get out, go home, and let's get out of here. Because I don't think he knows he's going to play against Klopp. But what, what's the point of doing that in pre-season? So what, what's he going to do now? It's going to be: is he actually going to try and play a game against Liverpool? Is he going to try and attack? That's going to be fun to watch because with nothing at stake, you'd figure Mourinho might actually go for it. Because otherwise, he's, he's, he is petrified of Jurgen Klopp's um, teams in the same way that he used to, be, used to be petrified of Arsenal. And it was just like, we're back in, you know, we're talking over a decade ago, he used to just park it against them and not even give them an inch. And I think he does the same against Liverpool. And it's going to be fun to watch him actually, because you can't imagine he'll do that in pre-season. There's nothing, there's no well, point to do it. If he's been watching Daniel Sturridge, he needs to be petrified. <laughs> he's having the pre-season of his life. He looks so, so slick whenever you watch Liverpool and... He's got really like he's interchanging a lot of passes with Cater. He's almost dropping up uh, and and really like playing into that false nine role that you see Firmino drop off and link with everyone. Sturridge is doing that, and there's some seriously good touches and flicks and finishes from him. So if he stays fit, that would be he could be not a signing of the season. But you know what I mean? If he stayed fit for 30, 30 games and they could use him in the Champions League and the Premier League. That guy is so talented. That, that that season he had with Suarez, they were both amazing. And if he can get anywhere near just being able to do that for at least 20 games a season, then Liverpool have got a brilliant player on their hands. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, Mourinho should be hatching a plan to stop him wreaking havoc, I yeah, think. Yeah, see, what's interesting about Sturridge is because, of course, when he was at last at Liverpool, he didn't fit with what they were doing at all because they were more becoming not becoming more a possession team, but they were playing more passing, proactive football with Coutinho... And, um, and Firmino and it didn't look like he fit what they were doing but last season with the explosion of Mohamed Salah it's almost created a space for Sturridge and the team because he can do that role he can play on the wing come in make goal scoring runs score goals carry the ball uh, as Jake says he looked really good so far in pre-season so it's almost like Salah's skill has transformed Liverpool's front line to create a space for Sturridge to be a very good backup if he stays fit but to quote Squawker editor Will Hall uh, you can't trust Sturridge he won't stay fit so, <laughs> so uh you know that's that's the that's the bottom line, isn't it? The the other game that I I'm intrigued to watch is Arsenal Atletico Madrid as well, <laughs> because not only do Arsenal probably have the strongest preseason squad out of any of the Premier League teams in terms of players available, Mesut Özil's cut his holiday short uh, to join in with the team. They've got Lacazette and Aubameyang up front. Um, a couple of the new signings are there, but Atletico Madrid for me are. Perhaps the favourites to win La Liga, or not favourites, but like I, I really think they could make a push for it. Yeah, because they've of, made some really smart signings. They have, but none of them are there. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So I'm saying I, yeah, I'm yeah. interested to see how that Atletico Madrid team plays, but I just yeah. want to see Atletico Madrid because yeah, again, under Simeone, and, and I know they don't have everyone there, but just watching them play gets you sort of think. Um, well, basically, because I think they want to are going to do well this season. I want to watch them to see if I've been an idiot in thinking that or if they actually do show some signs. Keeping Griezmann is huge, I think, for them. I think their their signings were already brilliant, but it looked like they were building for life after Griezmann almost. Like, oh, they're building... Okay, they're going to play Lamar on the left. and Oh, okay, they're building this team to play without Griezmann. I get it, 4-3-3, etc., etc. And then it's like, oh, no, no, Griezmann's staying too. And it's like, oh, okay. Now that team is really, really good. Looking really solid. Barcelona's transfer business. Um, Madrid are in transition, big time. They need to, you know, need to figure out who they are again. Barcelona are a couple of well, one signing, maybe two signings away from being really, really good again. But they have to make the right signings, and I'm not entirely sure the right signing is Willian. Um, but 
yeah, I, 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 what can you say about that man? What are you trying to sign a thirty-year-old winger for? Like it, the guy who t- guy who turns thirty and is, has never been like the most consistent guy. What's the most goals he scored for Chelsea? Eight. I think, no, I think last season was his best season I mean, in I terms love, of direct involvement. Yeah, I love William. I think he's a phenomenal player, and I think if you were signing him for thirty million as a backup to Usman Dembele, I thought that's it's because William looks twenty-four. It's very sensitive. He does, doesn't he? That's the thing. But you know, he's thirty years old, and I mean, I know he's energetic and physical and keeps himself in good shape and that, but. You're signing a 30-year-old inconsistent winger. That's for, yeah. for, for what? It's, it's the price. That's yeah. what it is. It's not necessarily identifying Willian as, as a player that you should target. But if you're paying 65 million for him, Chelsea, you should be gobbling that up straight away. Okay, that's all we have time for today. So thanks to all of our guests. Jake? Pleasure to be on. Thank you. Mo? Uh, as always, I love it. Ghost and, Walker. <laughs> and Pete, of course. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Okay, thanks, guys. Catch you next time.